and thanks be to God. Amen. That's what we will study today. By the way, in case you are wondering about my outfit choice today, I looked at my clutch today and I asked myself, WWNW, what would Neil wear? <laughs> Pastor Neil and I are match match. We didn't realize that. <laughs> and Pastor Neil was up for announcements, so we kind of look alike today. We are continuing our study in the book of Jonah today, chapter 3. Last week, we talked about the three agents of change from the point of view of God. What changes us is the mercy of God, it is the word of God, and it is the spirit of God that changes us, that makes us in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That very mercy of God was available to Jonah the runaway prophet, the rebellious prophet. And the same mercy was available to this wicked, wicked city in Nineveh. And that mercy transforms us. The word of God comes to this city, and because of the word was proclaimed, these people repent. And we talked about how this kind of mass repentance can only be explained by the spirit of God. It can be done by human effort. So the three things that changes us are the mercy of God, the word of God, and, and the spirit of God. And that very same agent can change us today as well. Now today, that being said, now we will talk about from our point of view. If we talked about from divine point of view, how God changed us. Today we want to talk about how we can respond to that change. What's our responsibility as the agent of change come upon our lives? We will see that in today's text, there is the clear call of God to both Jonah and to both Nineveh. And the call of God to Jonah was to obey and to go and preach. And the very call to Nineveh was to repent. And the very call of God changes them and it changes us as well. So we'll talk about the call of God, the obedience of Jonah, and the repentance of Nineveh. And through that, we'll talk about the nature of the call, the nature of obedience and repentance as well. And through that, we'll examine how we can change, be made more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. So let's dive in right away. First, the call of God, the nature of call. Look first to two verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Here in the text, there is a very specific call to Jonah from God. What is it? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim. Go and preach. What's a very specific call that God gives to Jonah. Call of God comes to many of us. If you look at Genesis 12, what was God's call to Abraham? Go, move out of your country. If you read 1 Samuel, what was the call of God to the prophet Samuel? Go, find the new king, David, whom I have chosen in my heart. Samuel goes, oftentimes though, when God calls his people to go, it, it also requires lots of change within us. Because call brings in here, 
God tells Jonah to go. God tells Abraham to go. God tells Samuel to go. Jesus tells his disciples to go and make discipleship. Disciples. But that being said, when God gives us call, it requires great change and also brings lots of uncertainties. Because God often tells us, do something, but he doesn't tell us what the result will be. I wish God tells us, Jin, go and do something, and this is exactly how it's going to happen. He often doesn't tell us that. What is the call of God that he has given to you today? Perhaps some of you are like Jonah. God tells you to share the love of God to your neighbor. Perhaps you are in the middle of a transition. Maybe you are like Abraham. God tells them to move and go. Maybe you are in the middle of job transition or perhaps life stage transitions. And that call of God brings lots of changes and brings lots of uncertainties. Oh, man, that uncertainty, it's like bad word to us, isn't it? It's like just as, as bad as the word moist. When you hear the word moist, we're like, ooh, we don't like that. And we are allergic <laughs> to uncertainties because what's the modern day chant? Limit uncertainty. Do anything possible to predict the future. So we don't like any changes, the uncertainties that bring upon our lives. Often call of God rattles that our security. So what do we do? What do we do to predict future? We create a bunch of hypothetical scenarios in our mind. Okay, if I do A, God will bless me with B. Well, if I do C, I don't know what to do. I have to discern. So let me do this way. And a bunch of hypothetical scenarios runs in our mind. We stay up late at night worrying about how it's going to happen. And if I do D, God will bless me with E. We try to fit God into our imagination. As Kathy Keller once said, though, God does not provide hypothetical grace to your hypothetical situation. Do you believe that? God really doesn't provide any hypothetical grace to your hypothetical situation. But he provides real grace to your real situation. As you step out from the call of God in obedience, God will continually show you what his ways are. Because we don't like uncertainty that brings with call of God. We are very hesitant and reluctant. See, when I read Psalms, especially when he talks about how God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't know why I often thought of that when he says God's word is a lamp unto my feet. I think of it as like bright LED light that shows a thousand miles down the road. But when I lived in Israel a decade ago, I got to learn how they would lamp at that time. It's tiny. It's oil burning lamp. If you turn the lamp on, it barely shows your next step. It's not as bright as LED light. But as you take step forward with a step-by-step in obedience, God will guide you, direct you step-by-step. Call of God often involves great courage and obedience. How do we respond to that? As we take step-by-step in obedience, he provides us strength for the next step and next step. What is the call of God to you? To Jonah today, it's obedience. To Nineveh, it is repentance. What is our call and how do we respond? Do we take step by step in obedience in the likeness of Jesus Christ? Yes, that is scary. Yes, 
that brings lots of changes, whatever the cause looks like in your life. But as C.S. Lewis once put it, remember, one is given the strength to bear what happens, but not the 101 different things that might happen. As you take each step forward, being obedient to the call of God, God will give us strength to endure. God will give us grace to take step by step forward. Second movement that we see here is, yes, the call of God to Jonah was what? To obey and to go. We've talked about this many times, so we know. In chapter 2, Jonah was in the belly of a fish. And then God brings him out of the belly fish, grants him mercy. So here it's a second chance comes upon Jonah to preach God's word to Nineveh. So what does Jonah do? Verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So now Jonah is at least obedient, goes. But at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of 4, we will see that Jonah's obedience, well, why don't you see it yourself? 3.10, Nineveh repents and this is how God does it. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, 1, what, the, what happens to Jonah? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. So what happens? Even though Jonah moves from disobedience in chapter 1 to obedience in chapter 3, it was only a reluctant obedience. At best, it was a dutiful obedience only. Now, how does obedience feel to you? Word obedience seems like such a bad word these days as well. Obedience, when we think about it, feels only very dutiful. It doesn't necessarily feel like, oh man, I cannot wait to obey. I cannot wait to surrender all my will. Man, I'm so excited to obey. I love resisting all kinds of difficult things. None of us got up like that. If you got up like that, help me here. In this culture that we live in today, what do we value the most in the country that we love dearly? This is a country of freedom. We love freedom. And we often understand freedom as doing whatever we want to do without any limit. We, un we often understand freedom as if there's no bound, no limit. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be. Obedience, surrendering my will, ooh, who likes that? But true freedom in the biblical sense, true flourishing, true liberty from the scripture actually is not without limit, but true freedom is binding yourself, committing yourself to the right object. Let me elaborate on that. Let me give you a silly example here today. Let's say there's modern Western culture, mama fish and a baby fish. The baby fish tells the mom, mama, I can be whatever I want to be, right? Mama fish tells baby fish, of course you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want. And baby fish says, you know what? I'm going to venture out. From now on, I'm going to live in a dry land. Mama fish says, are you out of your mind? 
Of course, fish is most alive and flourishing when fish bind themselves, commit themselves to what we call water. Fish is not designed to live in the dry land. It will die if fish does that. Likewise, for Christians, because we have indwelling Holy Spirit, when we truly bind ourselves, commit ourselves to the call of God, to the will of God, we are most alive than ever before. Yes, of course, obedience will often feel beautiful, but one day perhaps it will be joyful because you see the deep peace and inner tranquility that comes with obedience. What do you do, husband and wife, when you stand before the podium, when you make vow to one another in health, in sickness, in prosperity, in poverty? You are committing yourself to that one person. Your marriage is with the limit to that one person. What if you said, I, can, I have freedom, I can do whatever you want. That violate the covenant, live in a whatever lifestyle you want. Your marriage will be in wreck. Likewise, Christians, we are most alive and free when we commit ourselves to the will of the Lord and follow his guidance. So today, actually, let me speak to you, children. There are many of you here. Oftentimes, when mom and dad tell you no, you don't like that, do you? Oh, I don't like that either when my mom and dad told me no. When mom and dad ask you to obey them, you're like, why? I can be whatever I want to be. Why do you tell me no? But we heard an example of fish, right? If the mama just said yes to everything that baby fish want, baby fish will die if it goes to dry land. If your mom and dad tell you yes to everything, I don't think you'll be here today. Mom, can I play in the middle of the road? Your mom's not going to say yes to that. So children, your mom and dad really care for you. Obedience is not a bad thing. Listen to them. They care for you. That's why they sometimes tell you no in that. And church, let's, let me speak to all of you as well. Yes, sometimes obedience will only feel like duty, doesn't it? Yeah, of course obedience is no fun. Who enjoys surrendering our own will? I don't enjoy surrendering my will. But as J.I. Packer once said, as you dutifully obey, as you go about, you will taste that slowly your duty will turn into delight. Obedience is an acquired taste. Human nature, our nature is by default rebellion. We want to live out our own will. That began from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose their own will over sovereignty of God. When they took that fruit, we were rebellious and we still are. So obedience is not an easy thing. But in the end, obedience is deep joy giving. As dutiful obedience moves to joyful obedience, duty will slowly turn into delight. Do you know where we can find the prime example of that? In our Lord Jesus Christ. The very call that God has given to Jesus Christ. To him it felt like heavy duty too. Even to Jesus it was too much. As he cried out in the garden, Father, let this cup pass away from me. This is too much. I don't want it. But not my will, but your will. Even to our Lord Jesus it felt like such heavy duty. But why did he endure that still went to the cross? Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him. 
he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Even Jesus surrendered his own will and obeyed to death for the joy set before him as he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Church, would you obey the way of the Lord? Would you follow the call that God has given us? We're most alive than ever before. Yes, it feels like beautiful. Yes, I don't like that. But you will soon realize that there is the deep sabbatical rest, the peace of mind that comes from following the will of God because there is indwelling Holy Spirit working in you and for you. Third movement we see in this chapter that there's call of God to Jonah, it was to obedience. To Nineveh, it was to repent. This was a wicked, wicked nation and city and Assyrian kingdom nation as well. We talked a lot about repentance. Pastor Shep talked about it. Pastor Bill talked about it. I talked about it. Repentance is one of the themes that really goes through the entire book of Jonah. Sometimes the very call of God upon our lives can be repent. Turn away from your wicked ways. Next five minutes or so, I'm going to dive in deep to repentance. It might feel a little bit like, Jin, whoa, that's way too much. But bear with me. I'm going to simplify that. But I just want you to understand the biblical concept of repentance. In Hebrew words, there are two main words for when it communicates the idea of repentance. One is naham. Another one is shuv. The reason I'm saying all this, I'll get there in a second. Naham communicates the more idea of being sorry for, being you relent, you console, you lament. If I can oversimplify that, in a sense, it's a heart attitude of feeling sorry for what you've done, feel sorry. Shuv, on the other side, more denotes the idea of a radical change of mind. And as a result, you shun sin run away from sin and turn around and run toward the way of God. That's the idea of, in a sense, change of action, your will, your volition with that. So Naham and Shuv are two main words that talk about repentance. Why do I say all this? In Jonah 3, 8 to 10, in that three verses, Naham is used twice, Shuv is used four times. In that three verse, that same word is used six times. So I had to bring up my highlighter to understand each nuance. So I'm going to read 8 to 10, and I'm going to try to explain the difference here. So follow with me. Verse 8. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up, shuv. Let them give up, turn away from their evil ways and their violence. That's what the king of Nineveh says. He continues. Who knows? God might yet relent with compassion. They relent with compassion. Word shuv and naham is used together. The God might change his action with being sorry for what he thought about when God will forgive them and turn from once again shuv. Shuv from turn away from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned, changed their way, shuv from their evil ways, he relented, changed his mind, Naham, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Do you see how many times the word repent is used in these short little verses here, in last three verses? It's the powerful picture of repentance we see. 
as we turn away from our wicked ways, God forgives us, grants us that forgiveness. Now, there are so many debate over this passage among the scholarly circles, whether Nineveh's repentance actually came to know God as personal God of salvation. Some says, no, they only repented their wicked ways. Some says, no, actually, they came to know God. Verse 5, they believed God. The word translated there is God, general, Elohim, not Yahweh. Yahweh means you have the personal relationship with God. Elohim could mean the general word for God. So there are many debate. But that being said, the true repentance involves both Naham and Shuv. You feel sorry for what you've done. You're like, God, I relent. I should not have done it. And now I shuv. I turn away from wicked ways and turn toward you. I relent. I regret things that I've done. I feel sorry. And yet, Lord, I run towards you. I abandon. I turn around from my wicked ways and run towards you. Do we really repent? How do we repent? If you know me by now, oftentimes I talk about opposite and counterfeits a lot. Opposite of repentance would be just being unrepentant, right? You're not even sorry for what you've done. You just live sinful, licentious lifestyle. There's no change of your life. That is, of course, not a repentance. What would be the counterfeit of repentance? It looked like repentance. To you even and to others, it looked very much like repentance. But it really is not repentance. In the end, the counterfeit, it's only fake repentance. What would it be? What, I, what would that be is the self-atoning repentance. What I mean by that is this. The self-atoning repentance will look a lot like self-flagellant. You keep beating yourself up and oh, as if you can earn God's forgiveness by how much you beat yourself up. You're like, oh, I feel terrible for what I've done. This is, I'm a terrible person. This and that. And the day and night, all you do is it's constantly beating yourself up as if you can earn God's forgiveness by how sorry you are. You almost feel like God must forgive you because you feel this bad. That's in the end, you are trying to be your own savior. You are being a pseudo savior when you do that. The forgiveness of sin is not based on how sorry you are, how much you beat yourself up. But it is based on what Jesus Christ has done at the cross. So if you live in the self-flagellant lifestyle, constantly beating yourself up, as if that earns, that gives you a right to be forgiven. Abandon that. That stems from your own self-atoning repentance. See that monastery self-flagellant will not lead to atonement, but only to absorption. I once met a man in my previous ministries. He came to my office because he had some issues that he wanted to talk about. He would constantly elaborate and I would let him know, hey, Jesus forgave you. He loved you. He died for you. And he said, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Then I realized over the next half a year I would meet with this man. Every time he would come in my office and said, oh, I just could not sleep till last night. I was just so just burdened by my sin. I was just so felt so bad. And then I found out he was actually traveling small group to small group to small group in all churches. And he would hog entire small group time just talking about how he felt terrible. That's not repentance. That's utter self-absorption. The self-atoning repentance is not true repentance. It's the fake version. The self-flagellant will not lead to the atonement, but only to absorption.
perhaps you and I are sometimes there. Either we live completely, not even re repent, rebellious lifestyle, taking that God's grace and mercy for granted and doing however we want. Or sometimes that will lead to that fake version of repentance, constantly beating ourselves up nonstop as if that gives you right and access for God's forgiveness. No. Repent. We talked about it last week, church. The court is adjourned. When Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. When you trust him, he did not forgive you the based on the depth of your sorrow, nor based on your future merit, how much you will turn around. When he cried out, it is finished. He forgave you based on what he has done. Do you believe that there is incredible freedom and liberty in our lives through that? What is the call of God he has given to you? What is the call of God he has given to me? The life of repentance and obedience. That is the way of transformation. That is the walk of Christian path for all of us. But perhaps if I may explain it this way, it might help you. If you're a parent today, you vividly remember when your child took the very first step from crawling to your child just to barely took one step. No child on earth goes like crawling, oh, I feel like walking, I'm perfectly walking fine. No. All of us will take a couple steps and fall again, take a couple steps and fall away, fall again. And I have not met a single parent yet who said, ha, see, you cannot even walk. You're a loser. Might as well, why don't you crawl the rest of your life? Do any father do that? No. Every father and mother will go, Yes. I'm so happy for you. You just took first step, my child. I love you. Keep getting up. Walk. Any good father and mother will do that. But church, do you realize that's how God relates to us? As you walk in the way of the Lord, we are like crawling babies. We desperately try to walk in obedience because we know what Jesus Christ has done for us. But we will fall. But no God's going to go there. See, I knew you were going to fall. Might as well crawl the rest of your life. I condemn you. No, our Father rejoices. Jim, you just took a couple steps in obedience. Yes, you fell. Repent, yet get up. Keep walking toward me. Walk toward the way of me. There is life. Our Father rejoices over a couple steps of baby steps of obedience. So if you're fallen today, if the very call of God that he's given to you today Repent, yet quickly get back up and walk toward God. For some of you, this may be deeply personal. Perhaps you have grown up in an environment where that's a lot of persecution and condemnation is what you have felt. You're so afraid of failure because of your upbringing. Our Father relates to you different. Not because of how good you are. Not because of how sorrowful you are. Not because how good you will do in the future but because you know that Jesus Christ at the cross bled and died for you. So even when we fall, he sees Jesus Christ in us. Jen, I paid for that. Get up and walk toward me. What is the very call of God for us? See, the transformation for Jonah and Nineveh took from baby step. The call of God to Jonah was to obey, to Nineveh was to repent. To Jonah, it might have only been the dutiful, dutiful obedience. And obedience will often feel like that to us as well. But as you take each step, each step, I pray that your duty will turn into delight eventually. And when we fall, yes, let us relent. 
hand, let us turn toward God. And as you obey, as you repent, may God mold us in the likeness of Jesus Christ every single day. Let's pray. Oh God, what is the very call that you have given us today? Oh Lord, sometimes there's endless con condemnation in our soul. There's endless just sorrows, as if life is all about how sorrowful I am that earns the forgiveness of God. Oh, Lord, but we confess in one voice that our forgiveness is not found in us but in you. We confess that salvation is not inside out. We could not save ourselves. Salvation was outside in what Jesus Christ had to do for us. And because salvation was granted outside in, now, as a transformed being, we live inside out. So as we live in the life of obedience, as we live in the life of repentance, oh God, make us more like Christ. Oh God, forgive us when we fall. And oh God, help us to remember when we fall more than we even look at our sins. Help us to take 20 look at what Jesus Christ has done for us. So in Jesus we stand, in Jesus we hope. In Jesus, we find forgiveness. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.